Well, we don't want to talk about the 2023 Guardians at this point, obviously. Uh, so we can talk about the 2024 draft, right, Willie? Uh, Tank for Nick Kurtz is on. Here we go. Let's let's talk about the the 2024 draft. Now the Guardians can get Nick Kurtz. No, we're going to talk about the uh, the 2023 draft and all the things that happened for the Guardians. Haven't had a chance to do it yet because Willie uh, and my schedule didn't really match up last week because Willie decided to take a vacation or put off his work uh for another week because we found out there is no such thing as a vacation it's only work you're not doing till next week right absolutely true i just ended up with twice the work to do this week yeah that's what you wanted but the draft was a nice little respite for you right absolutely i i completely forgot about work for a little while yeah (laughs) as we all try to do hopefully we can all forget about this guardian season the way things have been going even though they're they're hanging around 500. It's just because the division stinks. I think we need to get over that fact. But, uh, okay, so we never really did spend a lot of time talking about Ralphie Velasquez, obviously, because I, I don't know why we didn't, because you you brought him up a couple times in our DMs just talking about him over the last few months, and we didn't really, like, talk about him a ton, but we talked about him enough where we probably should have brought him up on the, the podcast originally, but we did not, so... Why? Why did we not talk about him? I guess is is that is that my fault? Did I did I not prompt you enough there? <laughs> it's Jared's fault. It's Jared's fault. I forgot. Sorry. Absolutely, Jared's fault. It's always Jared's fault. So in in the mock drafts, I I gave Jared the Guardians pick in each of them, and I'm lazy and I didn't feel like um, changing any of them when we did when we redid the formats for each of them. So he always had that pick. Um, but a lot of the rumors circling Cleveland was around a few players like Brock, uh, Brock Wilkin, Nolan Shawnell, Colt Emerson. Um, down below, if you if you read like in the mock drafts, I mentioned Ralphie Velasquez, I believe in that last one, mentioned him among several others. And, and even if you scroll to the very bottom of the page, there's Cooper Ingle down there, Tommy Hawk, I think is mentioned, and a few of the other guys too. Um, some of the guys are just common sense, picks, so to speak, to me. Ralphie Velasquez, um, I think the thing there, a lot of people weren't looking at him for Cleveland because he was generally rated lower down the board than where Cleveland was picking at 23. Um, frankly, whenever we did the mock, I know there were several times I mocked him to San Diego at 25. So that's kind of where I valued him in that 25 to 50 range. And, and that's kind of where he was on people's boards, I think. Um I'm guessing that's where Cleveland pays him to is, you know, an underslot deal. And where it was, Cleveland was looking for an underslot player there. And seems like some players that may have slid to them were gone at their pick. Um, I guess, arguably, or, or minus Hurston Waldrop, who did go one pick later. Um, other than that, I think most of the bats that they would have been looking at were already gone at that point. But I think there was a clear plan when you look at the draft as a whole. Uh, and I'll get a little bit more into that as we ask, as we answer some of the questions later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Vela- you're right. Velasquez, if he was on the board at like the 25, even to the 40 ranges, that's not a huge reach at 23 if you're going to go under slot. And I, I think they're probably not going to come. Look, they've never given anybody full slot ever. They've never gone over slot. So this is definitely going to be, you know, an under slot deal. Depends on how much. Obviously, we're going to talk about Alex Clemmy, but obviously, the, you know, he's going to get paid above slot in his second 
uh, as a second round pick of 58. But yeah, we probably should have mentioned Velasquez more. And you had him on your Guardians type hitters. And I did kind of an informal list kind of the day before the draft. And I was like, yeah, he kind of seems like a Guardians type guy or guy that I like. I think the question for him was was sticking a catcher. And, and reports were, too, that uh, I think uh, both Keith Law and, and Eric Longenhagen had said that the Guardians kind of had their pocket pick draft-wise that um, they were planning to take Cole Emerson reportedly at 23, and then obviously he wanted to pick ahead of them for the Mariners. And I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to say they pivoted because it's not like Ralphie Velasquez isn't a good player, but, I mean, he was obviously the best player on their board at that point. And that's, you know, 99% of the draft, right, is is – best player available like we talked about in our draft preview show and managing your your draft budget too which they were able to do both with Velasquez he's their best player on their board of 23 for the money they're willing to spend there and obviously everything that happened after that dictates where you go from there but I I don't I don't dislike the pick at all I think it's going to be a good pick truthfully I mean you can never tell high school catchers don't necessarily have the greatest success rate and I don't know that Velasquez needs to switch a, a stick a catcher though, because is this a guy where I don't, I don't want to compare him to Bo Naylor because I feel like that's unfair because Bo Naylor obviously has been a good prospect and he's already in the big league mm-hmm. level and a special player. He has a chance to be a special player and he's really, he's really athletic obviously, but you get into a case with a guy Velasquez where um, the bat is probably like most high school catchers or catchers in general, the bat is ahead of the glove the question is going to be though, like the bat is going to play no matter where he plays, mm-hmm. but do you weigh him down at catcher? Whereas the bat might be able to make it to the majors before he can as a catcher. Yeah. Um, I'll go back to the guardians type piece that you mentioned. So when I look at players, I look at specific traits and characteristics and Velasquez matched everything. So famous players, they they love players from Florida and California because they see high-level competition. Those are are very talented states. They're talent-deep and talent-rich states. Um, So they're facing high-caliber talent all of the time. Um, I think that's why you see them take a lot of players from the ACC this year, too. Yes, these guys fit, but they also faced top-level competition through the year and, and competed at that high level and not only competed, but did well there. Um, with Velasquez, young for class, center of the diamond player, yes, there's a safety net with him, which is first base. I think that is the intriguing thing, and I think that was the intriguing thing with Bo Naylor. Um, I threw it out there online, or on Twitter, rather, that he's either Josh Naylor or he's Bo Naylor, and that's that's saying a lot. And, I, and I've said, I said in our DMs, and I've said on Twitter that I think he's a potential top 100 prospect. Um, Somebody asked me if I think he's Tyler Soderstrom. No, I think he might actually stay at catcher. Um, I think he has a better chance of staying at catcher than Soderstrom did. And I, to me, Soderstrom, I never projected Soderstrom to stay at catcher. So it was always second base, third base, outfield uh, with him. I think I know where I want Velasquez. I want him at catcher. And hear me out for a second on this, but if RoboOms come in the future, it's going to be – it's going to be about controlling the run game. And I don't doubt that he can do that because he already has a plus arm. So I think there'll be refining some techniques back there. Will he outgrow the position? Maybe, but if he's an offensive oriented backstop um, with robo umps in place, you know, I, I think that's a whole nother thing with him is there. 
there's that extra likelihood that he could stay there because of robo options, which are a matter of time before they come, in my opinion. Um, I like the pick, very excited to get him there. Um, I know Emerson had some chatter well above 23 where Cleveland picked. There was rumors that um, the Chicago Cubs liked him. I know the Diamondbacks were really into short stops in this draft. They brought a lot of short stops in. Um, Emerson, from what I have picked up from friends, um, was a potential pick for the Cubs at 13 if Matt Shaw wasn't there. So to see him off the board at 22, not surprised. Um, you know, I, I talked up the bat. I said, I think he has a 60 bat. When you're talking about a guy that with a 60 bat and 50, 55 power down the line, that's a, a very good all-star caliber player. And, and Seattle bought that too. So. Yeah. And Velasquez is a guy who has power. Like everyone obviously has been clamoring for power and, the important thing obviously remember is whatever they do in this draft isn't going to affect them in 2023 and it's likely not going to affect them in 2024. I mean, maybe, maybe next year you're talking about Andrew Walters as one of those guys, but that's a different conversation to be having, but you know, Velasquez, we're talking, you know, five years down the road with him at, at, you know, best case scenario, who knows where Bo Naylor will be out there. They took, you know, took the best player available and they took a guy who has potential power. They didn't take a guy who is, you know, could hit 300 with 10 homers. They took a guy who can hit a 20, 25, 30 home runs, you know, if it all goes yeah. right. Like the the, less, the rest of their draft with hitter-wise, yeah, it's littered with guys who might hit, you know, 10, 15 home runs if things pan out right. Not Velasquez. If things go right for him, we're talking about a 30 home run hitter. And like you said, it doesn't matter where the bat, where he plays. The bat will, will follow him. Uh, that's the profile on him. And yeah, you're right. The, the, Defensive thing kind of matters a little bit less with RoboUmps. By the time he is in the major leagues, I fully expect RoboUmps to be a thing. Uh, and and when you eliminate framing, like you see a lot of these guys adjust how they crouch. You know, you've got the one leg technique, you've got different the frog leg technique, and all of that has to do with with better chances to frame low strikes. If you don't have to worry about framing, you can go back to an original catching stance, just very normal. Yep. And you, all you have to worry about is blocking and throwing. So that if that takes away one of the three things you're thinking about, you know, blocking, framing, throwing, if you don't got to worry about framing, then you can focus on blocking, which, you know, who knows what Velasquez will be like. And you're right. He is a little bigger at 6'3 for a catcher. That's kind of big. It's not, you know, not too, too big. big. No. But, you know, there obviously were reports, too, that he – already got himself in better shape between his junior and senior year to be more athletic and, and to put that, that kind of vaulted him up draft boards too, was he kind of changed the shape of his physique between his junior and senior season. So he's a bit uh, more athletic and slender now, which is good for him as well. That shows a mental yeah. maturity and hardworking nature there too, to put in the work to do that from a 17 year old kid. Yeah. And there's a lot of, and then listen, there's a lot of good reports too. catcher traits with him. Like, the Guardians talked about how they valued his leadership traits, how he was a team captain. Um, just a lot of very good reports on the makeup, how he's you know had to work for everything. The Huntington Beach is kind of a – and I don't want to put everybody in the same box because I don't want to generalize, but Huntington Beach is generally an area of, you know, some wealth. And, sounds, yeah. yeah, and it sounds like Velasquez has kind of had to work through for everything he's earned at this point. He is not necessarily kind of, you know – part of that class that we know of. So 
he has had to work for everything he's you know gotten so far, and he's a hungry kid and um, has shown those traits. I mean, being a team leader in college, all those or high school, all those things have come back. So those are important traits you want to catch her. I think the report too is he's bilingual, which uh, I kind of laughed at the other day. Like um, the guy, we'll, we'll talk about Johnny Tincher a little bit later, but he's bilingual as well. Kind of funny. The Guardians. I don't want to say they target these guys, but they do like the fact they're bilingual. When they don't, we, we've talked about it. They don't spend any money on on foreign pitchers. Like they have Classe and De Los Santos and some other guys, but like you know, you're really only talking to a select few amount of pitchers. I mean, there's our teammates obviously that speak Spanish, but um, pitcher wise, you know, not a whole lot to communicate with in terms of needing Spanish. But that is funny. Well, that's so they can communicate with the infielders that they signed from Venezuela and the Mexican. That's right. Yes, that's right. Or if they convert to being infielders, yeah, who knows? Because everybody, everybody's got to play shortstop at some point in this organization. You can't have, you know, one one non-shortstop on the field except for, I guess, Josh Naylor these days. So, uh, anything you want to add on Velasquez? I mean, I, I fully expect him to sign. Obviously, the Guardians uh, have yet to pick someone that hasn't signed since 2020 because that was the first year the draft got shortened. So 2019, when the draft was still 40 rounds, obviously they didn't sign everybody, but um, since 2020, they've signed everybody. So I guess it's just a matter of when, which it'll have to be soon because the, the deadline has been moved up. So I, I very much assume we will hear news on Velasquez signing soon. And that, that for those who are wondering, the, the value at pick 23 is $3.38 million. So I would probably guess that comes in, what, at three or slightly under three? I would go between... Two point seven five and three million. Yeah. Um, could get a six hundred thousand dollar discount there. I, I doubt it's that deep. Probably around the three million mark, and that's why you see some of the movement later on that they made. Yeah, so that money is going to go to Alex Clemmy, who, by the way, at fifty eight, is a one point four million dollar value, and he is committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, mm-hmm. But he has already tweeted about how he's going to sign or he's ready to get to work. His uh, his Twitter profile, he says he's with the Guardians and not Vanderbilt. So every expectation he is going to sign, obviously, as we talked about. But um, for as much as Velasquez is is a Guardians type pick, even though it wasn't the most obvious, you know, to most people or some people, because he wasn't a shortstop, and uh, you know, other guys they may have targeted were, were off the board. Clummy, I know you, I know you had Clummy as a guy who was a Guardians type pick. But, you know, the general report on him is this guy, you know, has a very violent delivery and he doesn't have plus control. So that makes him a non-Guardians type pick. He is young for the class and the stuff the stuff is very good. He can spin a breaking ball. The fastball gets up to 99, but the, the track record of high school pitchers uh, in that round and the Guardians don't have a good track record of second round picks, even though every guy's individual, but... Uh, there are still a lot of traits here where you say, okay, this is not a, a normal Guardians type pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'll push back on that and say last year in the draft, they they showed a bit of variance with guys with control. Uh, mm-hmm. Jacob Zibben wasn't a, a plus command guy. Javier Santos Tejada wasn't. Rivera. Jackson Humphreys wasn't. Um, Magnus Ellerts was not Adam Tolok. So there's five guys just from last season that they took that didn't have above average command. Even all of those guys fringe average to, to average. Um, but I heard really good reports on Clemmy coming through the spring. And as the season closed out for him, um, I think that was the influential thing talking to a friend who 
who saw him in person and said that he was the best pitcher that he'd ever seen and that he was basically toying with hitters and putting the ball where he wanted. Um, uh, you may know who I'm referring to, who that friend was that gave me that information. Um, he did say uh, that uh, the toughest at bat every hitter had was was Clemmy. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think he can make people feel uncomfortable, but I'll, I'll, I'll go to this is I don't think you have to throw 100 um, when you have his slider. I, I think he's a good enough pitcher in the mid-90s. Maybe he can dial it down, dial the effort level down and get some command that way and then come back with the velocity later on if he needs to reach back for a little bit more. Um, you know, I, seeing, seeing Tolok make the jump that he did and Ellards make the jump that he did uh, and Humphreys is doing well. I know he's walked a few guys. And then Zibin and Santos Tejada have both been injured. So, you know, we'll say an incomplete on last year's class. Um, but definitely this is a, a who is the best player on the board who has the highest upside at this point type of pick, in my opinion. I viewed Clemmy just as I did Velasquez, a guy that I think would go between that 25 to 50 range. In fact, Perfect Game had him ranked 32 and Velasquez 36. Um, I think... BA may have had Clemmy at 49. So he was he was pretty solid in that 2540. I'm sorry, 2550 range to me. To get him at 58, there's a little bit of value there. Um, and I think that is either because Cleveland paid him to this point or because people were concerned, as you noted, you know, the lack of control. But I'll also point out that he's almost a year younger than a lot of the guys in the draft. In fact, I think today is his birthday. So he'd be hmm. today, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was significantly right. tomorrow. Tomorrow's his birthday. Tomorrow. Okay. So he's significantly younger than a lot of the arms, a lot of the preps arm, either six months or 12 months younger. That's pretty significant for a prep arm. Um, that's when there's a lot of growth that takes place is that last six months, that last, think of it this way is, these other guys have had a senior year in addition to what he's had. If you looked at what he did this year as his junior year and then compared that to what guys are doing in their senior years this year, you know, just thinking of it in those terms, there's a lot of growth potential there. You know, so maybe command does come with him. And as we know, lefties are a little bit slow on command usually. Um, hopefully they're able to develop that. But that upper 90s touching 100 miles an hour the slider, the changeup, uh, a lot to like there. There's a potential number one, number two pitcher if everything clicks. That's the that's the thing. That's a big asterisk with him if everything clicks, even if things go well. But, he, nice kids. but it doesn't. But it doesn't come together as they want. Maybe you're talking Sam Henches, you know, or Tim Heron type of arm. If that's if things go somewhat well, you know. Um, they're able to recoup something out of it, but it's definitely a, a shot at the stars, so to speak, because he could be one. I like the play. It's it's a big risky play here, but you know they have a lot of college arms in in the system already, and they seem to be comfortable taking prep arms this year. You know, and maybe I'll dip into that here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, they took some prep arms last year, and, and they've rated JUCO a little bit too. You know, we'll talk about some of the underrated arms. The pitcher strategy has been interesting the last two years because, and it, you know, obviously this all depends on the strength of the class too, right? You can't take guys that aren't there. You don't want to reach for a pick. I mean, yes, you have to manage your budget and take certain guys at certain spots so you can, um, 
you know, manage your draft capital, you know, as some teams, you know, are good at that. And some teams, you know, are not. And there are teams this year who will not sign all 20, 21 players either because of the way they handled things. And that mm-hmm. just happens. But the guardians do get all the guys in the system. So they do manage their draft capital and they always spend to the upper bounds of their, of their, um, their limits without sacrificing a pick the next year. So they often go over. Uh, and yeah, Clummy is not a reach at 58. I don't think he's a reach there. It's, you know, looking at track record, it's a high bust rate in the second round. It's a high bust rate with, with high school pitchers as always. Um, and you're right. Yeah. He is young for the class. He's only 17 and he's a cold weather arm too. He comes from Rhode Island. So he's not playing in your typical Florida, Texas, California area. So on one hand, you have the concern about competition, right? Cause you know, he's not playing in Huntington beach. He's not playing in Florida, but he is not getting the reps that he would get elsewhere. So there's there a lot of upside that he just has not even come close to yet. Like how, how high is the ceiling that they have? He hasn't seen yet because he doesn't have the reps of a California kid or something. Uh, by the way, another point in Velasquez too. He turned eighteen in May, at the end of May. So, yeah. you know, a, a good bulk of his senior season, he was also seventeen years old as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, he played probably played a month of of his senior year at age eighteen. And like you said, Clummy did not turn eighteen, and he doesn't turn eighteen until. Um, well, everybody's listening to this podcast, so today's his birthday. So, you know, go on Twitter and wish him happy birthday. I guess. Um, yeah, it's an interesting strategy though, because typically they do go for the, the generic college pitchers who have good command and they, they help guys throw 90, 92 to 95, 96 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if it's that where their guys not on the board, they felt good about like, obviously in the second round guys, we thought that they'd be interested in like Mitch Jeb gone, Sean Sullivan gone. Colton Ledbetter, Brandon Sprout, all off the board at that point. So like you said, you take the best player available on your board at that point, and and obviously that was clemmy for them because it wasn't about money with him because he's obviously going to get over his his slot. Um, there were some college arms that were there, like Jackson Ballmeister, who went the next round, yep. um, Joe Whitman, Jackson Wiggins, Kate Kuehler, all guys who thought could be a fits. But, you know, if they feel like at at – 58 if that's a reach you don't want to reach there for guys that you think are lower down your board i don't know it's just the track record like i said it is not it's not great it's a it's a high bust rate but like you said the the star potential is there for clemmy the only thing that, that's tough to, to, to hear about that though is that you know you're talking like a sam henches or a tim heron i think sam henches was what like a third or a fourth round pick fourth round pick yeah, so that's not too far off Clummy. Obviously, Heron was a lot further down the board, but he come he came from a different you know a different kind of program and um, had some untapped potential as well. But you know, you hope you're not getting a reliever with the second pick because a lot of the stuff you said too, you know, made me think of Lenny Torres, cold weather kid who, if all comes together, is a top of the rotation starter who was young for the class with great stuff. And you know, we see where Lenny Torres is at today. Unfortunately, you know, I just. Those are always the, the drawbacks with this type of pitcher, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a, a lot of risk. It's a high risk, high reward um, type of pick for them. I definitely feel a lot more comfortable with Velasquez and then what they do the rest of day two. You know, it it even rounding out day one with their next pick. Uh, I don't know if you want me to transition right into him or not, but yeah, that was he's the first guy to you talk about. It could be a while on on Clummy, 
But Andrew Walters, you know, we could be talking about him in the majors next season. I guess the real question on Walters is, you know, it's an elite fastball in terms of velocity and the spin of the pitch. So it just it's got good shape, which is great. And he throws a lot of strikes, which is great. Um, I guess where does the second pitch come from? I think we have a question on that too, right? We have a for our yeah, buddy Quincy. He said, "What what secondary pitch do you see the Guardians focusing on to go with Andrew Walters' fastball?" And I guess it's a slider, right? It's a, it's got to be a slider. Yeah, he has a slider. It I couldn't tell if it was a curveball or a slider, but all the reports say a slider. I thought I heard someone say that he had a cutter or he worked on a cutter a little bit too, but I didn't find that in any of the scouting reports I read. Um, just because I didn't find that there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It may have just been something that never he never took to the field with, so to speak. Um, he does have a changeup as well. That's worse than the slider. Uh, for me, uh, I don't think a sweeping slider, you know, the left to right motion would work for him. I would go more of a gyro type spin slider, something that looks more that up and down the north and south approach off of that slider. Um, I think that would play better off of his fastball. I, I would want something that tight, just like his fastball is tight. His, his fastball is almost on a straight line, but it's. I think there's a little bit of uh, approach angle with it too, because he seems to have such a compact arm motion, short and quick to the plate. Um, I think that's part of what causes that fastball to ride, or not causes it to ride, but uh, causes it to play up. And that ride that he has when he works in the upper part of the zone with that fastball too, just blowing it by people. Yeah, if you find and, and I think the cutter makes sense too. He kind of has the arm slot for a guy who should have a cutter. And if you give him a cutter and he whatever slider he goes with is kind of your bridge pitch between the fastball and slider. So if you have a cutter, that kind of helps. If you if your slider is not plus, let's say, you know, the fastball is what, a sixty grade? Yeah. Which if you're if you're asking about what is a sixty grade fastball, twenty eighty scouting scale where, you know, twenty is, you know, I don't know. I 20 is about just barely better than what you and I can do. And an 80 is obviously like a roll to Chapman fastball. And it's probably a 60 for Walters just because of the, the fat, the velocity and the carry. If you've got a slider, let's say it's a 45 pitch. If you have a cutter and it can help bridge the gap in terms of what your slider doesn't do, but it plays off the fastball. Well, you know, it can make your slider a little more effective. So it wouldn't shock me if they work on a cutter with him. And I think he has the arm slot for it, too. I think he has the natural release where he can go for a cutter. So if they can get a slider even to, like, an average pitch, let's say it's a 50, and I would I would bet, too, he could throw it for strikes, too. I mean, he was a strike thrower in college. If you can add a cutter to that mix, you know, that keeps him off the fastball, and it gives you, depending on the slider, if, it, if it's a more, if like you said, if a gyro slider, which has, what, more, more sweet, more uh, vertical than, than horizontal, right? Is that what a gyro slider is? Yeah. So if you give him a cutter, is your one that's moving horizon, your your gyro is the one that's north, more north and south, so more vertical. Yeah. So if you give him the cutter, that helps your east to west with a cutter. You've got the fastball that rides up in the zone, and then if you have a gyro slider that's more vertical, you've kind of got all three directions covered, right? You've got your east, your your east mm-hmm. to west, your north to south, and you got the fastball. So I I wouldn't be surprised to add a cutter. And like you said, if the slider works in gyro with a gyro slider, it only needs to be an average pitch, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's something Cleveland's kind of area of expertise, it seems like, is working on pitches 
working on pitches and working on pitches with guys until they get them down or, you know, even trying another pitch, another grip. They keep on working on it. I think he's in a good organization to find that next best pitch for him. Um, but with the elite command that he has, because he walked, I think, 1.5 1. guys per nine this year. And somebody told me that he didn't have the command to be a back-end bullpen arm. I'm not worried about his command. I'm worried about I'm worried about whether he has that yeah, that second pitch. I, I think yeah. as is right now, he could probably go into a big league bullpen as a middle reliever. But he has more upside than that. I think, you know, and I threw this on Twitter that he's kind of what Trevor Steffen was when Cleveland got a hold of him. Um, lacking this he had a slider, he had a change up, but it was when he found that splitter is what really put him over. Um and his and his slider even was a 55 on a lot of scouting reports, and I think he had a 40 changeup. That's not quite where Walters is. Walters gets a 60 fastball, so a better fastball than than what Stefan had at the time. Even though Stefan was up to 98, but you know um, Walters' fastball plays better. He's up to 98, 99, and with that elite command, you don't see many guys with 1.5 walk rate. So, especially a reliever, right? Usually relievers are the guys that have command issues. So, yeah, he could be the first guy in the draft class to make it to the majors if the Guardians see see fit that he uh, can help the bullpen next year if they have time to work on a, a second pitch at that point. Um, you know, between him and Davis Sharp and, um, boy, you know who's, who's uh, not to, you know, turn to the farm system right now, but Franco Aleman is suddenly striking guys out of double A and not, and not walking guys. You, know, you got some interesting, some interesting relief arms, and you always need those guys. They've not done a great job developing relievers internally. You know, James Karinchak's been on the outs lately, and uh, like Stefan's been good. They traded for Classe. You know, Hench just went to the bullpen. You've got Heron, which is good, but you need more. So Walters is a fine pick for money there because you're not gonna Morgan. Uh, yeah, there's Morgan. I mean, you're like we said, you're gonna you're gonna be slightly under slot with with. Velasquez in round one, you're going to be over slot for Clemmy in round two. Walters is a good pick for that in round three, where you're going to be what? A, a, is he going to get a million dollars? Walters, he's at one point two seven in the third. And it, it's he's a senior. Uh, he's, he's a senior. I don't remember what the what is it one point? Oh, it's one point four. I'm going to say he gets a million one, dollars. Two. One two. You think he gets a million? Oh, okay. Four? Yeah, I see. I yeah, I think he gets a million. Um. I, I don't see them bringing him down too much from there. I, I, I said at one point in time he was a solid second round pick. So you know mm -hmm. this is that range for him. He was going second, third round, no matter what to me, just because of proximity to the majors. Uh, like you said, he's an arm that could potentially be there next year. That's a quick return. Um, I'll invest a million dollars in that arm. <laughs> yeah, a guy who can help your bullpen out next year, depending on the role. Yeah, a million dollars. That's that's fine. And again, some of that money is going to go to Clemmy. So uh, you don't judge Walters necessarily on on the pick there himself because some of that gets moved to Clemmy. So you know you're taking him. And, and I hate to say a lot of this draft class depends on Clemmy, but it kind of does just because of how things are going to be filtered. Um, Guardians took his teammate uh, Walters. That is C.J. Kafus in the third round. Uh, they announced him as an outfielder. Uh, he's played a little bit of outfield in, in Miami. I think he played a little bit of outfield in the Cape. And, look, he hit the ball well in the Cape. He walked. 
Uh, he doesn't have a problem taking walks. He's supposed to be a, a decent defensive first baseman. Um, the question, obviously, this is where we start to get to the point of the draft where the Guardians went back to their you know their MO. They took guys who make contact, they draw walks a little bit, and they don't show a lot of over-the-fence over power. So, uh, again, this is a bet on a guy who you're hoping finds a little extra pop. He did his senior years last year in college. He found some extra power. I think he added some strength to his frame. And you just hope – I mean – it's hard to profile as a first baseman if you can barely hit 20 home runs. And I think I don't want to say, I don't want to put a ceiling on this guy already, but like, you know, it looks like a 20 home run hitter max at the moment. Yeah. I think he's 15, 18. Um, if he has a little bit of strength, maybe he gets to 20. Um, I like him as a bench type piece. Uh, somebody that can play a little bit of corner outfield, kind of a Micah Preece, so to speak, a Micah Preece, Will Brennan guy. He's above average speed in the outfield. He can play left, he can play right, has a decent arm. Um, shouldn't be a right fielder all the time, but could help out there in a pinch and play first base. So obviously there's four positions he can play because he can designate, you know, he'd be designated hitter too. So um, I think that's a useful a useful piece. Um, he did well in the ACC too, you know, another ACC talent there. Yeah. And Cleveland got quite a few of them. I think it was like six in a row or something like that at one point. Yeah, it was a very SEC-heavy trap. It took uh, Clemson catcher Cooper Ingle with their next pick at the, in the fourth round. Uh, Cooper Ingle's a guy you know you and Jared were all over. I guess the question is, does he have? Well, okay. <laughs> there's no, there's not a lot of power here. Cooper Ingle he hits the ball on the ground a lot. He doesn't walk a lot. Uh, doesn't strike out a lot, which is good. So he's a very typical Guardians type hitter in that term. Um, Looks like he has the arm to stay behind the plate. What what does everything else look like? I guess is the question. Yeah, I think it's a good hit tool, good contact guy. He's not going to hit a bunch of home runs, as you alluded to. He's not going to drive the ball out of the park. He's going to put the ball on the ground, drive it in the gaps, hit it where they're not, take advantage of a little bit of his speed because he's athletic for a catcher. I kind of said, just to bring back an old name that people may be familiar with, but um, Tony Walters. He may be that sort of athletic backstop. I, I think his ceiling is a backup, um, and I think that's a good ceiling for him, uh, for Ingle. Yeah, the fourth round there, I mean, I don't know. It's not an exciting pick in the fourth round, but you see if you can he can hit enough to, to hit for average and if yeah. that's enough to play. And, and, and I think this is one of those plays where you're coming in and getting a guy that you like get him a little bit under slot and you're prioritizing the position that you like, you know, you're getting a guy at a position that you like him at because he does have some positional versatility. He played a little bit of second base and outfield too. So he can play the corners. He can play a little bit of second base. He can catch. He has the athleticism for that. I'd like to see him get a little bit stronger and stay behind the plate myself. That's my opinion. You know, maybe with a little bit of strength training with some of these guys, they drive the ball a little bit harder through the gaps because they're not guys that are going to hit the ball over the fence a lot. So it kind of sounds like you just said he is the less exciting version of Cole Carrig. <laughs> <laughs> not not to yeah, be well, unfair to, to Cooper. Yeah, he's not going to be throwing the ball 102 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, and he's a little more versatile defensively, but he went in the, the competitive balance B round before the Guardians could get Cole Carrig, and I, he just signed today over slot too, which was interesting. Uh, I like Cole Carrig a lot. Cooper Ingle kind of sounds like we have Cole Carrig at home. Four man's version. 
yeah, we, we have, that's when your mom tells you we have, we have burgers at home. We don't want to go to McDonald's. So you get, you get Cooper Ingle at home instead of Cole Caring. Uh, not a knock on him. Should be a nice player. I'm going to skip over Christian Knapsick from, from Louisville because we could be here for two hours if we talk about every pick. Um, you know, infielder who might not play short, maybe he will contact. I think he's a second baseman, and I'm okay yeah. with it. Has good speed. Yeah. It's uh, right. at the 90th percentile exit velocity. So he's hitting it hard where they're not and using his speed. I have a lot of favorite day two. I, I don't want to say he's my favorite day two pick. Okay. Who, who was your favorite day two pick? Is, is it the, is it the next guy or is it somebody else? I, there's three of them that I really like. And you know, I like Ingle. Um, you know, I like Hawk. That's Ed, what I was going to ask. That's my favorite. Quayle, my favorite um, pick. Is, is a favorite. I think he's a sleeper in this draft class. And then I will go with Alex Mooney, my favorite pick of day two, I think. So Tommy Hawk, not even on that list, really. No. Well, I mentioned Hawk. I, I liked Hawk a lot. He's a gamer grinder type of guy who gets the best out of his size and his tools. Um, elite level speed, you know. So I I think he's a um, infielder turned outfielder, too. So mm-hmm, He is. Uh, I don't want to throw the name out there, but I know a guy that played a little bit of infield then turned outfield. So you just were, you just had to go and ruin it. You just had to go and ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is somebody, the- somebody tied that same name to a favorite player of mine, PD Halpin. So, you know, I, I had the name drop. Vengeance is mine, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To- Tommy Hawk. There is some mile straw to his game. I know people aren't going to be excited to hear that. Look, the hope the hope when you take one of those guys is they are a little better offensively. Um, I think Tommy Hawk, look, it's it's probably not a lot of juice, but uh Miles Straw has not hit a home run in two years. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Tommy Hawk has a little more power than Miles Straw. Um he is really fast, he plays a good center field. I I think Tommy Hawk goes out there looking to disrupt the game. He is a disruptor. And I feel like I feel like Miles Straw tends to be a little bit passive sometimes with some of his skill set, even though it's in there. I don't think that's Tommy Hawk. I think Tommy Hawk is a, a guy who wants to go out there and impact the game multiple ways. He is looking to be in the action. That's what I like about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy who I think at the top of the if, – if 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 he hits the top of the order, things go that well, he's a guy who wants to go out there and cause havoc. And I feel like sometimes Miles Straw is, you know, passive. a little pass, passive. And yeah. I, I don't think that – Hawk's going to strike out a little more, I think. Yep. I I wonder if I wonder if Tommy Hawk is more like Greg Allen. More like just say Greg Allen. Yeah. Yes, I I said he was. He's not Stephen Kwan because he's more aggressive than Kwan is, but he's mm-hmm. that size, that uh, same sort of power production. I think you'll get out of him. Um, but he has Ahmed Ahmed Rosario speed since Ahmed seems to be one of the fastest guys on the team. Um, I think Hawk is that type of base runner and, and defender. I don't think he's a natural out in the outfield yet, but he definitely improved this year from everything I've read and heard on him too. Um, definitely can range all over the place with that speed and fearless out there. Like you said, that that's what I really like about him, um, but not my favorite pick and and not because none of that, but I like, guy who went just around after him a little bit more because I had him as a higher rated player, um, which is Alex Mooney. He's a, a shortstop at Duke. He was a sophomore eligible player. 
some wonder whether he's his second baseman or a third baseman. I've, I think I threw out the name Mark DeRosa as somebody that maybe he comes becomes that sort of player, somebody that can move around, play a little bit of different positions in the infield. Uh, you're not going to get a ton of home runs from him, I think 12, 15, if he, if he hits peak. But here's the thing. He's similar to Tyler Freeman in that you got the positional versatility, but he also is going to get on base, has those contact skills, and he gets hit by pitches. That's an underrated skill set. And I think it's something, you know, that Cleveland takes advantage of those guys. They that push up that on base percentage. Yeah, I like Mooney quite a bit too. He uh, had an so-so cape and he played good defense on the cape. People liked him a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's going to play shortstop, but I think he has it in his tool belt. Mm-hmm. I hope he kind of ends up a little better than Ernie Clement. I don't think he'll quite be that, but I mean, he does have the the quote-unquote grinder skills that everyone likes. He does have the speed, the leadership, the the guy who plays hard mentality, little dirtbag in there. I agree and with you. I think he, I he think turned twenty-one too, so a younger college sophomore, ACC t- ACC talent. And I, I agree. I think out of all the day two picks he might have the most upside still because he's a guy who could be like a fringe starter, a guy who could, you know, play a hundred games a year and, and really help you out if, if you utilize them properly, which, you know, that's a whole conversation for another day on this team, right? If can you utilize this guy's skill set properly? And maybe Mooney is one of those guys who will need it, but I agree. And I think he's also an interesting pick in that. Uh, look, the value of pick seven in the seventh round two eighteen is, is two thirty one. So I'm not, I'm not saying they'll have to go too far over slot, but, He's a he's a draft eligible sophomore. It wouldn't shock me if they'll have to go a little over slot to get him either. Uh, you know what? If they went to five, I wouldn't be surprised. Five hundred thousand to get him. I feel like they sort of flipped picks around a little bit with some of these guys, and and probably playing with money to get a, a few guys that they wanted. Uh, seeing a guy like that, you know, I when I mocked him, I mocked him. I think in the second round, third round, a couple of times. Um, I think that's where he was rated. I can't remember who had the highest rating on him. Perfect game or BA had him. I think BA had him at 83 and maybe perfect game had him at 65. Um, I, I liked him in that 75 sort of range. Um, so I, I think it was a good pick getting him there. You probably overpay him and then you're probably pinching pennies off of a few of the other guys before him. I, I think any of the four bats that went before him, you can pinch a little bit of money off of. And you're probably going over over on him. But the next pick, Jonah Ad, Advincuela, I think is a sleeper in the draft. He's 22, played at Redlands and then Washington State. Um, all he's done is hit. And I think if I remember right, it's either him or uh, Barrett Reebok that hit over 300 everywhere it was everywhere he was at. And I think it was Advincuela who hit over they 300 in school. And then, you know, you have plus speed or better. I've seen plus grades and I've seen – Double plus grades on his speed. I'll just say he has plus speed. Another guy that you're not getting a lot of home runs from. Five, eight, probably. Um, but somebody that's going to get on base and use, utilizes his speed, too, because he got almost 30 steals each season for, I think, the last two. I think it was 22, 28, so about 50 bait, stolen bases the last two seasons. Yeah, and he's a guy who was a, a division. You don't see a lot of guys who are in Division three transfer to Division one. Uh, for their senior year, and he was all right. He's a fourth year junior, but he was fantastic at Washington State. Mm-hmm. Really good, another makeup guy too, as well. So, you know, speed is there. We'll see where he profiles best. He's already, already twenty two, so they probably pinch a little bit of money off of him too. Correct. Um, 
The other day, too, pick I really like was Jay Driver, too. I'm really interested in him because um, he didn't get to pitch in 2021 due to COVID. They can't, you know, Ivy League didn't play in 2021. Um, so he didn't throw his first college pitch until 2022. Um, had a little success in the Cape. He's, you know, he's been 97 in the past, which is good. Um, very deceptive delivery, good command. I, I shouldn't say good command. I think it's, uh, what, uh, average command? Not quite yeah. the command you norm, they normally like, but you know he's got a um, a very he had a walk right to, in in the four and a half range. Yeah, so not fantastic, but you know there is some cape success there. That a deceptive delivery. I think he's a reliever um, for a guy who you know didn't have as much reps as other other guys. And this is a, a place where the Guardians went a lot, which we still have to get to. Is that they went with a lot of guys who don't have a lot of reps. So they feel like a lot of scouts didn't see them. So they didn't, um, they're better than a lot of teams. They, they, the guardians think that these guys are better than other teams had them rated. They just think that, that they are under, underdeveloped to this point in their career. And let's be honest. It's the draft. So a lot of these guys have, you know, quote unquote, unt- untapped potential that the guardians mm-hmm. are trying to find. But I think to this point in their developmental, you know, baseball lives, they should have hit certain checkpoints, but they didn't because of lack of reps, whether that's, um, you know, a guy like, like Jay driver, a guy like Alex Clemmy, even maybe not necessarily Ralphie Velasquez and other guys we'll talk about from day three. And then Jay driver kind of fits that mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's a drop and drive pitcher. Got that power slider. And then that fastball, um, drop drive slot, you know, power, all things yeah. that are, you know, pun to his last name. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Driver. You, you meant to do that. Um, Matt Wilkinson, just real quickly, I want to note on this too. I, I So I was looking, you know, we do a lot of, uh, you do you and Jeff do more research than I do, but I did a little bit this year. And I was looking at Cape Cod League, you know, data leaders, because that's what the Guardians like. They like guys that perform well in the Cape. And I saw Matt Wilkinson's name and I looked and I'm like, wow, this guy has struck, you know, had some good numbers in the Cape so far this year. Very interesting. And I went to go look at his numbers. Couldn't find him anywhere because he was playing at a JUCO and, you know, at Central Arizona College. And he struck out a ton of batters there. I'm like, oh, let me go find out more about this guy. And then, I, you know, I obviously saw his size and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to look any further at this because he's, uh, you know, whatever. And the Guardians clearly thought this guy misses bats. We're taking him. Uh, <laughs> nicknamed Tugboat Matt Wilkinson, uh, 6'1", 270 reports. Maybe he's a little bit bigger. He's already signed with the Guardians. He signed for 110000 out of that um, 165.3 slot. So he comes in about 55 under slot, which is not a surprise, but uh, a surprising pick nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, not not your typical build for a starting pitcher. Not a lot of guys have had success with that. Of course, we've seen some left-handers. David Wells comes to mind. That's what I was going to say. Um, was, Lance Lynn is another pretty big guy. Um so there are some guys in the big leagues who's had some success. I, I wonder with Wilkinson, if you get him into the 250 range, just drop 20 pounds strength and conditioning with him. Um, see if, it's right. Yeah, see if his delivery is better, if his command's better. Um, but, I mean, he's able to get guys out right now. It's pretty interesting profile. Don't look at the physique that's, you know, with the delivery. Just look at what he's doing with it. And uh, you know what? He may look like he belongs in the city rec league or, or whatever, but dude's blowing away people in college. And then he went to to jump from Juco to go into the Cape Cod league and not only perform what he was doing 
before, but to continue to do that in, in the Cape Cod is pretty impressive. That's a big jump. That's a great point <laughs> to go from Central Arizona College all the way to the Cape and continue to perform. That is a huge jump. Um, round eleven, Johnny Tincher. I don't know what the track record on five foot eight catchers is. It's probably not great. Uh, dude is super athletic and do backflips. Uh, that to me, if you can do a backflip, you're athletic. I don't know if that's a great way to grade that, but I would say it, it gives you a little bit of athleticism. Um, bilingual, as we noted, and also a, a very uh, well liked team leader at Washington. This to me screams like a guy who's going to be a coach in a couple of years, but uh, we'll see how long, how far this thing goes. He's got he has he hit some home runs at Washington. The Pac 12 is it's a power five conference, it may not be the best. Um, conference for uh, it's probably a, a hit more hitter friendly conference, but uh, interesting guy to have in your system for sure. And look, they took uh, what three catchers they took Johnny Tincher, they took uh, Cooper Ingle, and they took Ralphie Velasquez. I assume they're going to send Velasquez out as a catcher to start. So, you know, we've been saying how they need catchers in the system, and they went out and they did it. So, Tincher should at least have a chance to, to play some games of catcher over the next several years and see how far he can take this thing. Yeah, and he's a reputable defender too. Um, considered mm-hmm. a average to above average. I think one somewhere I read that he was one of the nation's best framers too. So I think that comes into play with all the athleticism, the gamer, the leadership. You got all the skills. I think if he's four inches taller, he's a day two pick. That's that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's very fair. Uh, we're on the day three. Uh, the Guardians' approach on day three—they went pitcher heavy. They didn't take any any real the college arms we like. They didn't, they you know, they didn't get a chance to get Sean Sullivan because he went above them in the second round. And and to be fair, I think um, taking him above that pick would have been a reach, I guess. But you know, they missed out on on you know Joe Whitman. They missed out on Tanner Hall. They missed out on Hunter Holland. They missed out on Kiefer Lord, Seth Keener, Connor Haller, and guys we all. Yeah, Coleman Picard. Uh, well, I don't think Tanner Witt is signing. I guess we'll see. Um, they, missed, they missed out on a lot of college arms, which is disappointing. So day three, they go with you know a lot of arms that I want to say are guys who are late bloomers. Like, you know, Keegan Zinn, let's focus on him for a second, uh, the 12th round pick. This is a guy who didn't start pitching until the last two years of high school. Uh, he was a position player before that. Um, and now it's just going to strictly be pitching. And who has been up to 96 this fastball, has interesting spin with the slider, has two arm slots that he throws out of. Um, there's a lot of athleticism there. The, the size is good. He has room to add weight. Um, this is like a guy where scout, scouts just did not get out to see him as much as they maybe should have, and there wasn't as much on him as a pitcher because he didn't pitch till his junior year uh, and is now exclusively a pitcher. So – it just feels like a guy that, you know, teams didn't see a whole lot of, and the Guardians felt like, you know, this is a guy who could be a late bloomer in terms of development. Yeah, because as you said, he didn't start pitching until his junior season. Um, four pitch mix, two different slots with a couple of them, and then very high spin rates. So two of mm-hmm. two of the, I think the slatter and curveball both had spin rates uh, above 3,000. So that's some pretty premium spin rates you're getting there. I think his fastball was even in the 2,500 range, uh, 2,600 range, if I remember right. So all of that's high spin stuff. You're getting a guy that played center field and pitched a little bit. Uh, again, they're banking on their ability to develop that. You know, I 
kind of joked, but there's a lot of truth to it. But uh, it felt like Cleveland was getting guys into the system before they went to college and got messed up. And then they drafted them in a few years and had to fix them. But it's kind of like they were preempting that and just, hey, let's just go ahead and get these guys into our system now um, before they get messed up in college. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, fastball 96, like you said, the slider. 3,000 spin rate. This, the curveball is up to 2,900, 3,100, and he's got a splitter that's in the, the high 70s as well. So it's a, it's a good four-pitch mix. I'm really curious to see what happens uh, now that he's pitching full-time and like so there's some athleticism there. Uh, just seems like a guy that maybe scouts just didn't, except for the Guardians, didn't get out to uh, at certain points. I don't really know a whole lot about Lake uh, Mignola High School, but, uh, yeah, it just seems like a guy that, you know, and a slender frame too. Uh, if I remember right, this is just off the top of my head without looking. I think he's 6'3", 165. But you're going to add yep. some weight to that, and you assume there's some velocity behind that too. Um, it's just going to take time with him. Uh, he was a Liberty commit, uh, I think originally uh, a JUCO, JUCO commit, then, yeah. then committed to Liberty, and then obviously, you know, Cleveland liked what they saw from him, and are planning on bringing him into the system. And I also enjoy Jacob uh, Bresnahan, who was the 12th, 13th round pick out of summer high school in Washington, Oregon commit. He is signed for 375000 So um, that is what, 20, 100 and uh, what's, two, is it 250? Uh, that's 25, I think, over. So 225. What What is the slot for past the 10th round? Uh, 150. So it's 225 so, yeah. over. So the so two twenty five of that will count against the Guardians bonus pool. So anything over over a hundred thousand counts against your bonus pool. So they went over on him in the thirteenth round. Um, he was about what six six foot six two his junior year, so he wasn't a big kid. Kind of sounds like he had a late, a late growth spurt. His fastball was up into the to low to mid nineties as well. Um, he's six four one ninety five. That's really good size. He was an Oregon commit, so that tells me that he had Division one upside, and they got him in the thirteenth round and. Like you said, they got him before he went to college, and I don't know. I'm very interested in him. He's got a, a high arm, one of those weird arm slots they like, and um, that helps the fastball play up. Didn't turn 18 until June, late June, yep. so he played all of his senior year at age 17 as well. Yeah, Zin's young too. Um, all of all of the prep arms minus uh, Mac here are, yeah. are young. Yeah, Mac here, uh interesting one. Mac here was a, was a homeschool kid. Um, you know, played on the competition circuit, the uh, the showcase circuit a little bit. Um, you know, worked on his family farm, and then and then uh, was playing in front of some of the big sh bigger showcases. Was thrown in the mid nineties. Has a very short arm slot. Can land a slider for a strike. That's you know six foot four, two thirty. Maybe there's some some conditioning to do with him as well. But that's a guy too who just again no reps. Like you're not playing high school ball. You're playing on the showcase circuit, which is limited. You got to travel. You can't always do that. Um, so a guy who, you know, had he played four years of high school ball in Georgia, which is, I guess the area of Georgia he lived in, didn't necessarily offer great competitive high school baseball. So he didn't go to high school and he, you know, worked for his family farm, a guy who maybe played four years of high school ball. Maybe he's a day two pick, you know, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's what and I'm thinking here. Big school commitment there, Texas tech commits too. So, you know, right. division one. Yeah. For a guy who did, who barely played, you know, outside of the showcase circuit for, for Texas Tech to give him an offer. I know the Big 12 isn't necessarily the, the pitching haven of other places are, but uh, that's that's still a pretty nice offer. Uh, yeah. I would know, too, Zane Morehouse, the guy who who bounced around a couple of schools, can throw 97. 
Um, control not 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 always great for Zane Morehouse, but um, you know when you bounce around a lot of schools, you hear a lot of different coaches in your ear. You kind of get messed up, and maybe a consistent pitching plan like the Guardians can offer helps him. I think he's probably a reliever, right? Absolutely. Uh, he's got starter build, but I think the reliever stuff. Really, he throws three pitches, but it's really two uh, because the changeup is the worst of the three. That's just a below average pitch. But the power slider fastball that runs up to 97. I think he's a nice relief arm with command issues. Um, but there's big potential there. Anybody else on day three? We have, we're not, I don't really want to go through all these picks, but I know you mentioned Brett Reebok, who is – Lightning fast as well out of Paris Junior College in Texas. Uh, also a young kid, so I'm not sure. Any, anybody else you want to talk about the rest of that uh, day three? I'll, I'll just touch into all three of the last three just to give them due time since we've given everybody else a, a moment. So Matt Jasek was the ace from Indiana State. A nice video on him that I posted on his, his piece that I wrote up. I would encourage people to check that out. Good command, low 90s fastball, 90 to 92. Uh, Josh Harlow was hit in the head with a line drive. Another guy that transferred, uh, was going to transfer from Mercer to Arkansas next year, but drafted here. He's probably signing. He is in the low 90s, up to 94. A friend told me they think they can get 95, 96 out of him. Um, And then Ryan Marhon, who is not the least of the class, he was a, a prep arm that was rated, I think, 360 at BA. Looking at his stuff, there's some athleticism there. Um, from his delivery, what he has and his physical build, it reminded me of Logan Allen um, when he was younger. So maybe Marhan is, is something similar to that if he develops. You know, I, I have to quantify that with that big if in there. All right. Well, let's let's wrap up with our questions as we get close to the hour mark. Uh, our friend Stacy wanted to talk about the uh, talk about the catchers. We did talk about the catchers. Um, Mike Mahoney wanted us to ask who were the ones that got away. Should he just pull up the Cardinals draft? Um, I'm going to tell. I'm going to say right now, I hate the Colorado Rockies. They took my favorite pitchers. They took Chase Dollander, uh, Sean Sullivan. I know you like Cade Denton a lot. He went there. Isaiah Coupe was an interesting arm from Ohio State. Yes. Uh, I am so excited to see how the Rockies are going to ruin all those pitchers that I really like. Yeah, their careers just went up in flames. Sorry, guys. Oh, yeah. the Brewer, oh, the Brewers had a great draft. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay nailed like nine guys. I, I should just label the pieces Guardian slash Rays type <laughs> draft because the Rays always pummel the guys off of those lists. The Rays and the Cardinals always do. The Reds had eight or nine guys off of that list too. Oh, well, they had a really good draft. They've gotten a lot of they've gotten a lot of praise for the draft. Um, but as you alluded to earlier, I think it's way too early because who knows how one of these draft classes is going to turn out, particularly with a team like Cleveland who took five prep arms. Um, there was a question in there about that too. Did they draft to the strength or did they draft to the strength of the draft? Yes, they did. They, they went with the strength of the class. I said the best arms would start in round two. The best prep arms would start in round two and down. Um, I felt like that was round two to round seven, round eight for the prep arms. Um, that's where I want to get them. I want to get your top 150, 200 type talents. Some of these guys are obviously outside of that. Those are guys that usually you think are going to end up developing at school. Um, your your Marhan, your Breshnahan, 
make sure I'm saying these names right. <laughs> um, we'll find it out at some point. Someone's dad must go to school. You know, they come back and they're number three, number four starters a couple of years down the line. This puts me in mind of the draft when Cleveland went after Spencer Steer, Austin Martin, and uh, somebody else. But there was there was like three or Spencer four guys. They were all hitters. They were all middle tier type guys. They drafted them in day three. They were unable to sign any of them, and they've all become really good hitters. And it, it kind of feels like Cleveland did that with pitchers this time. And let's hope that these pitchers become what those hitters have become um, nowadays, because that would be uh, a massive steal for this team to be able to do that with these type of guys. Just hit one or two of these guys, I think, would be great. So let's hope all of them pan out. We know it won't happen, but let's hope for it. Um, let's see. Pat asked us, uh, "Was the drafted was this a draft that followed familiar trends and tendencies?" And what degree? Um, I don't know. I think this the last two years they have kind of started moving into a new direction. They're still taking the high contact hitters, but the pitchers they are like you said they're kind of opening up their window in terms of um, control. They're not necessarily drafting guys with plus plus control and trying to find more velocity out of them. Um, but again, that, that also depends on who's available too, right? You have to. That, that's the thing, too, I, I think I got lost on because I was so focused on, like, you know, I was looking at, like, Owen Wilde or Jackson Baumeister or Seth Keener, um, Zach Thornton, Sean Sullivan. Like, all those guys kind of have certain traits the Guardians seem to have liked in the past. Yeah. But the important thing to note, too, is, like, okay, let's look at Tanner Bybee. Not, not, every, not every college pitcher you take is going to be Tanner Bybee, okay? That's, that's not always the case. Tanner is a, is a different talent. And because he put the work in, um, you have to be able to identify guys' deliveries. Like, okay, with his delivery, we see this particular trait where if we change it, he'll start throwing harder and his stuff will tick up. You know, I I don't know a lot of this stuff enough to say, like, you know, Sean Sullivan or Zach Thornton or Tanner Hall, where if they do X, Y, and Z with his delivery or his build, he will start throwing harder and he will become a guy who's not a fifth starter but a three starter. So, yeah, we, we all like those guys. We, we, think, we think Cleveland would like them, and maybe they would have at a certain pick. So maybe if, if that guy slides the fourth round, like Alex Mooney, I feel like is a guy where maybe they're not obviously not taking him in the third round, but, hey, he's here in the seventh round. We like him a lot higher. Let's take him here, right, because he fits us. You're not going to reach for those college arms, but you also have to be, be able to identify, like, yeah, this is a guy we can work with to get more than he's currently showing. So maybe not only do those guys not fall into the range they were comfortable with, maybe there's got stuff in their deliveries that they said, okay, this is a delivery we can't really maximize more out of. So we're just going to pass because he is what he is right now. You mentioned somebody saying that Cleveland got their pocket picked on, on some of, on a player. Mm -hmm. I think it was Cole Emerson. I, you, I suppose you could say that with Tanner Hall because he went in the fourth round to the twins several picks before them, but was Cleveland going to take him in the fourth round? We don't know. We'll, we'll never know that now. We know they didn't like him in round three because they had the opportunity to get him right there. Right. Um, their board and their assessment of players is much different. Um, Hall is somebody that typically they would have taken in the past, but I think really this was let let the board come to us instead of us going to the board, so to speak. So that's why you have a run on bats for Cleveland back to back to back so to speak. And then when it went to day three, I think it was like, okay, we're light on arms. We need to, 
we need to be creative. And they went with a creative plan into this. They, they had a strategy in place. They weren't, you know, um, tripped up by any of this. The whole plan or the rumors were they were going to go under slot at pick number one or, or pick 23 overall um, right. and set up the board the rest of the day. That's what they've always done. That's what they did there. I don't think Emerson signs, you know, the same contract Velasquez does and allows them the flexibility that they'll end up later on. Maybe they can make that up at pick 58. You end up with uh, Joe Whitman or Kate Cooler there or somebody like that and said, I don't know, but that's not how the draft played out. So the way it played out is they let the bats, and that's where the depth of this class was. To me, my impression in the fourth round, I'm seeing guys go off the board. Who I, Emmett Olson, for one, who went to Miami, that's somebody I thought was like an eighth, ninth, tenth round draft pick, but he went in the fourth round to Miami. I, I felt like teams started reaching – because there was a run on arms. And just like Jared and I said, we both said there's going to be a run on arms around the second round because teams have already been through the draft once through the first round, and they're going to want to start adding arms. And if they didn't get them in round two, then they went after them in round three and round four. So that's where you had a – it seemed like a run on arms to me of college arms, round two, three, and four. And Cleveland just sat there and they didn't panic. They let the college bats fall to them. They took them. And then they took a few guys along the way, you know, who knows, maybe Kyle Scott from Lackawanna College in Pennsylvania becomes a, a power reliever for Cleveland or something like that. You know, he's got a three pitch mix, maybe four. I didn't see a change up on him, but uh, an interesting arm. There's, they're going after their development system and believing that uh, it's it's what Scott Barnesby said to me a few years ago when I asked him about the going after guys with the over the top slot. He said, we feel like we can develop anyone. Uh, any arm. And I think they've really proven that these last two years going with guys with different slots, different deliveries, um, not with the same command that we've seen in the past and willing to, to take some risk on them guys. You know, I, I applaud them for that, for not being stuck because you limit your guy yourself on, on talent. If you are only willing to go after just the one type of guys, so then you end up with the same look. And that's one of the things that Tampa Bay thrives on is all of these arms with different looks. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, no. Uh, again, and I, like I said before, we don't know for sure if the Guardians felt like they could maximize any of these arms. And, and like you said, the draft played how it did. So, you know, if certain guys they liked fell to a certain round, they had a chance to get them, they might have taken them but they weren't there. Like some of those college pitchers that we'd liked. Um, it is a different, it is a different look in terms of pitchers. Like I said, it's a guys, guys who have had, have had late growth in high school who, you know, might've been missed by certain scouts or uh, had they had different coaching or had they pitched all four years might've been a lot better than they were or rated a lot higher than they were at this time. So getting guys who, again, like I said, everybody here has untapped potential because they're in the draft. They haven't reached the potential yet, hopefully, but, these guys might have a higher ceiling than most people thought because yeah. of coaching or late, late growth or because they weren't pitching full time, things like that. So it's a different strategy for sure. They're banking on their pitching development and being able to, to go out and maximize these guys and find some, um, you know, guys that were underrated by other teams. It's kind of, I, I hate to say it's the money ball strategy from Oakland, right? Like, Oh, this guy's undervalued because of this, but that's what it kind of feels like. It kind of feels like the money ball strategy. Like, you know, yeah. this guy wasn't scouted heavily because he was six foot his, his junior year. Now he's six four. Or this guy yeah. didn't really pitch until his senior year. So 
that that's kind of what it feels like. And if you if, and it, look, if one of those guys comes out and looks great, if uh, if Jacob Shanahan becomes a Bresnahan becomes a number two starter, or Keegan Zinn becomes a number two starter, or Zane Morehouse becomes you know your your setup guy, like all, it's all it takes in these drafts is for like two of these guys on day three to to become ma- major league regulars that are guys that spend their their rookie contract their their you know their first developmental years with you the the before they hit free agency if they end up having good years for you um that's a win because that that's a hard part of the draft to develop from yeah you need Ralphie Velasquez to to become that middle of the order power bat and that's what they're hoping for and yeah you want Alex Clemmy to at worst become Sam Henches and Walters like your day one guys you got to have one of those guys be you know fulfill their potential obviously but if you can get one day two guy and one day three guy to have a regular role with you for five or six years, that's a huge win. And I think they have a guy possibly here. I don't know how it's all going to pan out, but I'm at least interested in their their approach here. And like you said, it's different. They didn't take um, – look, this is no knock on um, – gosh, who was the – they've had a couple – Tanner Tully, right? Tanner Tully or um, – uh, Zach, I can't remember his, his last name. Zach, uh, one of their la- huh? Zach Draper. Yeah, I mean Zach Draper. Yeah, no knock on those guys. Those guys are useful guys because you need those guys in the organization, and they might have futures as coaches, things like that. But the Guardians could have very well taken those guys on day three, right? Oh, this mm-hmm. is an org guy, and some of these guys are going to be org guys. Let's be honest. That's that's what they're going to turn out to be. That happens. But the Guardians could have loaded up on that type. Instead, they went for, you know, for Sanahan. They went for Zinn. They went for Scott. They went for Matt Hewer. They went for really interesting guys that are different. So I'll at least say I'm, I'm interested in how that develops. And I'll – it could be – you know, it could flame out poorly. They could they could not turn out to be a board draft because of that. But I'm, there, I'm very interested, and I think the approach is uh, – is worthwhile to see if it works. I mean, it, it sucks if it doesn't work out, but it's worth looking at. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of projection with this draft class because yeah. we're looking at a lot of high school talents, even a few younger uh, Reebok and Wilkinson, both being 20 years old still. Um, neither one of them are quite 21 yet from JUCO. Kyle Scott, I think, was a 21-year-old. But those guys that may take a little bit longer to develop before we see anything from them. But the upside is, is there with them. As you said, you know, um, Reshnahan may end up being a number two starter. We don't, we don't know yet. It, it's so far out. The guy who probably a guy that's not even done growing yet. If he just now became six four one ninety five, maybe he gets another inch and adds another 15, 20 pounds. And with that, you see him throwing 94, 95, 96, you know, uh, from the left-hand side. And then even Ryan Marhan, who's from Virginia, another cold-weather state, really. Um, smaller build, but it's an athletic build, and he's got some good-looking stuff. I, I I, think, you know, there's a good chance a couple of these guys end up panning out for them, even if it becomes a reliever. You know, that's a win to me to get a guy that's a reliever. But I love what Cleveland did one in, with their first and second pick. Yes, there's a lot of risk there, but I love that they're swinging for the fences because it tells me that, hey, we're comfortable with our development team, even with our ladder picks and what we already have in our organization, too. You're not, they're not playing it safe. Um, yeah. But think of it this way. You potentially walk away with your number four hitter for your lineup and a potential number one starter. How many other teams can say that they did that? 
Yeah, they, they definitely didn't play it safe at round one and two. They played it kind of safe in competitive balance B round, um, save some money as well. Day two, I would say day two, they were they took they took it very they went very safe on day two. Mm-hmm. Um day three, day three is not really safe in general because you just don't know, but they didn't play it safe day three either, I don't think. So it's an interesting balance for sure, and it's different than what they've done. Uh, I did have one comment too from the real Fosto C. Oh, real Foster Carmona is asking those questions. I love it. Um, should ask him how much he was getting from Roberto Hernandez to uh, take his name back in the day. Uh, and he, he made a good point. He said, "How does this draft compare to the Naylor Hankins Torres Sandlin draft?" And he's right because Naylor mm-hmm. and 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 Ralphie. You got Hankins and Clemmy Torres. You know, too. We talked about. And then Sandlin and Walters. There's a there's a lot of comparison there, and I would say so far, the Naylor pick looks fine. Um, Nick Sandlin has worked out fine. You know, Hankins and Torres, not so much. That's going to happen. So, but look, two two of their first four picks in that draft are major leaguers and they're regulars. That's a good hit rate right there. And and you know, the careers of Hankins and Torres aren't over. And we'll see about Clemmy. But yeah, if, if two of your first four picks hit like that, the way that those did in 2018. That's pretty. That's a pretty good hit rate, right? Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Well, we know they're not going to hit all of these guys. Typically, you're doing really well if you get three or four. If Cleveland gets five guys out of this draft class, they've done really well. So, especially now that's twenty rounds and not forty, right? Yes. Yeah. Overall, it, it's it's a it's a very interesting draft. I'm going to say it's probably not my most favorite draft ever, especially not this year. Uh, Brock Wilkins signed with the Brewers for 3.15 million. They got under slot there. Okay. I'm going to end on that note and I am going to go jump into the lake. Thank you. <laughs> I really, really wanted, uh, Justin, who would you have taken at pick 23? You were on the clock. Who are you taking? Um, yeah. I mean, let's see. We talked about Hurston Waldrop being there. I don't know that I would have taken Farmello. I'm not reaching for any of the second round guys there. I don't know. I, I'm surprised Colton Ledbetter found came to the second round. But again, if you're going to save money on that first pick, what are you saving it for? I guess Ledbetter would have saved you a lot more money for Alex Clemmy if that's what you really wanted to do. But um, yeah, Noth is gone. McGonagall's gone. Ty Floyd's uh, Ty Floyd was there. I'm sorry. Um, McGonagall was yeah. there. Yeah, McGonagall was there. I guess if it wasn't if it wasn't Hurston Waldrop, then yeah, Velasquez is as good as I. I mean, I'm not reaching for Bryce Matthews there. I know you like Kendall George. I'm. I was not there on Kendall George. No, I, w- I wasn't high on George either. I like. I, I, I like. I I like Velasquez more than I like Farmelo. And yeah, I'm not reaching into I'm not reaching into the second round for any of the second round guys that were there. Like, I like the Lombard. Uh, me, I would have went Hurston Walter to be honest. I'm always a pitching first guy. I would have loaded up with pitching. Um, would have looked different there, and then I'd have probably went Cake Cooler at uh, 58 too. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Velasquez was going to last until their 58th pick. I think that's the thing too. Is is does Velasquez get to 58? No. So you're either taking them there or you're you're taking Waldrip and you're completely going a different direction. So yeah, you're right. I'm with you. I think Velasquez there or Waldrip is is a good way to go. I, I mean 
I guess I maybe would have said lead better too, but um, that's a harder sell for me at, at 23. I, there were a lot of people who thought he could have gone that high, but I'm surprised he went as he went as late as he did. So I don't know. Hard to say. Uh, the fact that Ledbetter went to the Rays though tells me that I he maybe he is good because uh, the Rays love to take Guardians players and or like to take uh, <laughs> players the Guardians should have. So yeah, Ledbetter, Ledbetter, or Waldrop are the only two guys I would have thought about there. I guess at twenty three, but it looks like Ledbetter where he went looks like it would have been a reach, right? Yeah, I can't remember. I think he went second round to Miami in the 40-something range, like 45, 43, something like that. Yeah, um, 55, yeah. Was it? I didn't realize it was that far down. I thought it was right. Miami where I grabbed him. Yeah, so. So uh, Zane Stevens asked a few questions. I wanted to hit his questions. Okay. Uh, who from this class will hit the major leagues first? We both said Andrew Walters. Um, your sleeper pick, Justin? Why don't you go first? Day two, I'll do it this way. Um, I'm not going to do a day one sleeper pick. That's not fair. Day two, my sleeper pick is Jonah Advinquela. Day three, oh, geez, that's fun. <laughs> uh, man, day three, I like a lot of those guys. I like a lot of the prep kids there because you never know what you're going to get. Um, I like Zane Morehouse on day three. Um, I think he's going to get – Going to be a guy that walks a ton, but strikes out a lot of guys, too. I think he could be a fun arm. He's already 23 years old. I know there's some upside there um, because he's bounced around a few colleges. I think it was three different colleges in his in his career. But he's got a good frame. I think he can get a little bit stronger. Already hitting 97. I think in this system, maybe he's a guy that strikes out quite a few guys and then walks quite a bit, too. Maybe he ends up being like a middle relief role type arm. Um, but I really like Jonah and Edwin Quayla. I would say, you know, that's my avalanche of a player. Like uh, my son's making noise over there. <laughs> he really likes that pick. Uh, day two, I'll say Tommy Hawk. I think if he develops into, if he reaches his full potential, I think he could be a leadoff hitter. So that's fun. Day, th- day three, I have a hard time picking between Zinn and Bresan- Bresnahan. I'll say Bresnahan just because he was an Oregon commit. So that he had a little more, I don't know, college, uh, interest in terms of programs. So I'll say Bresnahan. I think there's a lot of upside there being late growth, but I like Zen a lot too. Yeah. Good picks. Good picks either way. Um, I think you'd even argue for for here or there. Uh, Like your pick of Hawk. And you know, I really liked Hawk going into the draft class. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite players. I absolutely agree that he could be uh, a devastating table setter type of guy. I say devastating because he's somebody I think that's going to steal a lot of bases. Yeah, um, and might strike out quite a bit for for a Guardians type of pick, but you know what? I think he offsets that with his style of play. Um, he'll he'll find a way to get on base, and when he's on base, he'll do some damage and he'll run down a lot of balls in the outfield. So yeah. All right. Any other questions? Or you think we've uh, spent an hour and twenty minutes on the draft long enough? Yeah, I think uh, we've I think we've wrapped up the twenty twenty three draft class, Justin. All right, so next week, the 2024 draft class, how are the Guardians going to land Nick Kurtz? That's that's my Will, – Willie has a year now to figure out how the Guardians can get Nick Kurtz. That is his assignment for the next year. If you want to get a contract for next year, Willie, you got to figure out how you can deliver me Nick Kurtz. I'm, I'm still waiting on my sausage egg McMuffin, Justin. So you haven't delivered on that yet. It's coming. It's coming. There might be a surprise. There might be, there might be a hash brown in there too. I don't know. We'll see. Checking the mail, right? Yeah, check in the mail. It'll last, I promise. I, I made it work. 
Uh, thanks to everybody who read. I know Willie, he wrote like 5,000 words on the draft between the mocks and the all the picks and the, the undrafted free agents and Guardians type players. So, Willie, appreciate all the work you put in this year once again. And thanks for coming out of retirement to do a couple of podcasts. Maybe we can, maybe I'll even send you a coffee or an orange juice to see if we can squeeze one more out of oh, you. You're right trying now. to hype me up with the orange juice now, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. You know, so. the coffee's going to do nothing since I'm like. <laughs> True. Okay. Orange juice or maybe uh maybe a blueberry muffin. I can get you back on the podcast one more time before the year is up. You know, that might do something for you. My my I'm not as a muffin eater, but I can buy my wife off with that. So <laughs> Okay. All right. We'll we'll see what we can do. Uh thanks to everybody who read all the stuff, who shared it, uh, who asked questions. Thanks for all of our listeners. Uh make sure you are, you know, subscribing on YouTube and uh, wherever you get podcasts and all that good stuff, share with a friend. If you think that they would uh, enjoy this, please share with a friend, let them know about the podcast and share with them the newsletter. I'll share that in the, uh, the podcast description as well. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe to that. You could follow Willie on the death machine of Twitter on at uh, W I L L H O O nine, nine. You could follow me at jail underscore baseball. Again, I always say if we're an hour and 20 minutes. If you're not following us on Twitter, at this point, you are either not on Twitter or you are some kind of masochist. So <laughs> um, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, that, that's going to do it for this week. We'll, we'll try again.